Hello, and welcome to Conversations with Close, coming to you from the Great White North. I'm Michael Close. I'm glad to have you with us. On this podcast, you'll hear interviews with magicians from around the planet. I try to ask the questions designed to spark robust discussions, giving you information and insights you won't find anywhere else. If you enjoy these podcasts, I hope you'll stop by michaelclose.com and check out the products we have available. And now, let's get into today's podcast. Doc Dixon, thanks for joining me. Thank you. It is good to be with you with this miracle of electronics, which was not present 30 years ago. No, no, we had to get no laughs in person. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly right. So I'm trying to remember uh, our most memorable meeting uh, or one of our memorable ones was in Florida at an IBM convention in uh, Orlando, I think. But did I know you before that convention? Had we crossed paths before that? We must have, I think. But I, I guess I just got to know you better there. I think that was it. Yeah, that would have been, what, 94? 94. 94. Okay. Something like that. Or 92, either 92 or 94. It was the year Steve Bedwell won the Gold Cups. So I suppose those of you with I remember uh, well. inst instant Google access can find out uh, when that was or... Perhaps Steve remembers that because it was uh, it was fun. So for as long as I've known you, I know very little about your background. So can we go back to the beginning and tell me about where you uh, grew up, where you were born, brothers and sisters, folks, things like that? Sure. Uh, I grew up in a, a little town, uh, McKeesport, Pennsylvania, just outside of Pittsburgh. Uh, dad worked for the bus company. Mom was a stay-at-home mom. Have, I'm the youngest, have an older brother, older sister. Uh, they're still back up in PA. I'm, I'm near Atlanta, Georgia now. And uh, what's the, the, how I got in the magic story was like many guys of our generation got the Amateur Magician's Handbook is a gift, uh, like 10 or 12. And uh, that was pretty much it. I mean, I had other magic books before then, but, you know, that's the one that, has uh, sunk its hooks in a lot of us. Uh, it, it seems to be a book recommended by lots and lots of guys and lots and lots of guys who've gone on to be professional magicians, as a matter of fact. So uh, was there a magic shop within driving distance or did you have to do things mail order? Yes. Uh, I remember ordering a few things from Tannins, uh, but I, th I think, you know, I think I got, uh, it, I would have been about 20, 21 years old, getting the complete works of Derek Dingle way too early in my life. <laughs> way, way, way too early. I was, I was like, here's a scalpel. Yeah, you've had the first aid class. Go have some fun. Uh so were you um, my, my magic shop of, of choice quickly became the cuckoo's nest in Pittsburgh. Ah, OK. Now, did you uh, were you the kind of kid who did shows during high school to make a little no, extra dough? No, no, I was not. Uh, I, I think my social social acumen was uh, e even lower than most magicians at that point. So, no, I, I, I was mostly a close up guy. I see. I, I didn't really uh, have a stand-up act because uh, I started doing restaurants in my early 20s. Uh, 
And I think only after that did I cobble together some type of stand-up act. I see. Um, maybe people would like to know why we call you Doc. Oh, I worked on an ambulance. Uh, in fact, I almost ended up that route. Uh, I became an EMT. I think it was 16 years old, emergency medical technician. Uh, there was a very active local ambulance service in my town. I mean, literally, uh, the, the base of it was four blocks from my house growing up. So I did that. I think it, at one point, shoot, I was, vol- I think one year I remember volunteering like 900 hours you know, which is a lot. Uh, but uh, for whatever reason, I, I, I didn't go that route. I think like on the uh, Penn and Teller intro, I decided it was a lot easier to mess up a card trick than to mess up an ambulance call. <laughs> and the stakes, you know, weren't quite as heavy. Wow. Um, did you do the college route? Uh, a couple years down in Texas. Uh, nothing to speak of, uh, but then uh, came back home, and and that's I think when I started doing it for a living, like uh, twenty one, twenty two, to- totally. Uh, uh, what is it? You know, ninety percent chutzpah, ten percent smarts. Well, by the know, way, uh, the word chutzpah, the uh, show will be goim captioned. <laughs> captioned for the goim. Oh, exactly right. Uh, what was your um, field of choice when you were studying down in Texas? Oh, just general liberal arts kind of thing. Uh, I see. Uh, the perfect thing that prepares you for a life as a close-up magician. <laughs> yes, yes, that's it. I should have gone to a bartending school. That might have <laughs> helped more. Did... um. You eventually uh, made the shift and started doing stand-up. Did you did you do the comedy club circuit? I did that for a chunk in the '90s, uh, like mid, like you know, '95 uh, to around 2000. Uh, did that? Uh, I think my busiest busiest I was on the road about a half to two thirds of the year. Um, and, and I still do it occasionally, uh, you know, from some old uh, bookers and uh, club owners. So were you doing comedy magic or were you doing just pure stand up? Uh, comedy magic. Yeah. Comedy magic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now I do some stand up in the act, but you, you know how it is now that I'm married with the kid. The stand up writes itself. <laughs> no. You just pick up your diary and read from it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's pretty much it. I'm just going to take a few moments in my act now to help you people appreciate how good your lives are. <laughs> yeah. Two Thanks days for ago. Getting me out of the house. <laughs> Two days ago. So you and I had the pleasure of. Um, uh, working together uh, for season six of Fool Us, I believe. Season six, not the yes, one sir. that's airing now, but the one before. Um, and I always get lots of questions from magicians about Fool Us, and uh, they they sort of want to know a lot about the, the behind-the-scenes uh, kind of stuff. That was a tough season for all of us, sure. uh, because that was the season that uh, Johnny 
was hospitalized right at the very beginning. So we all sort of soldiered through it, but it wasn't a, a lot of laughs and giggles and grins. Do you uh, you want to tell some folks about your experience on the show? Uh, well, I, I will say first, touching on what what you just mentioned, yeah, that 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 was uh, you know personally it was a bit of a letdown. I had met Johnny once or twice before, but and particularly with the routine I did, you know, it doesn't get much more old school than the shell game. Uh, not being able to interact and, and hear Johnny's, uh, input on that. I mean, I, I say this somewhat selfishly. Yeah, that, that was, uh, that was a bummer. It was a bummer. And of course, in the far more important and larger picture, that, that was a, uh, a very sad thing for everyone, particularly, uh, you know, like you and Penn and Teller who were, you know, were very close with him. But, uh, all that being said, uh, fool us. I, you know, and you've read, uh, I've I posted before, a 100% wonderful experience. Uh, you know, I, I sound, when I say this, you know, I, I sound like a, uh, a 50-some-year-old fanboy, but uh, nothing negative about it. I mean, in any way, shape, or form. And I've done, I've done a little other TV, and, and I had some, you know, hiccups here and there, you know, locally and nationally. But but the fullest experience uh, from the guy that picked me up at the airport, of course, our interactions before that and during the time there, to, you know, e- everything. And, and it's not, I mean, you know, I, I was one of the guys that won the trophy, but it would I would have felt the same way without that. That's really great to, uh, to hear. Um... Uh, one of the things that I enjoyed, and and a lot of times when I talk about <clears throat> what my function is on Fool Us, um, it makes it sound like, you know, I'm just looking for the, the hobbyists, the guys, you know, who don't have that much performing experience. But I like to try to, you know, if I can spot any little rough edge that, you know, that I can help smooth out because my only goal on Fool Us, I want everybody to look great. I want everybody to do a great job. So it was it was fun working with you on that routine and finding a small little thing that perhaps you had overlooked because you were yeah. so close to the routine that sort of helped tie the whole thing together. That was uh, that was very enjoyable for me. That uh, yeah, and yes, and though it was small in. Uh, the volume, the words, it, it was like a lever. I mean, if I'm, I'm assuming probably most of your viewers have, or listeners have seen it, but the, the line that tied it in, in this kind of uh, sixth sense kind of way, you know, these rules that were stated at the beginning now come full form at the end. Yeah, that that was big. And and as I told you, you know, publicly on your Facebook page, at first I thought the idea was so bad. You know, I thought, well, well how do I put it? This sucks in the worst way. It is contrived to suck. <laughs> I hated it. But then I ran through it a few times. I'm like, no, that's good. That's really, yeah, that's really funny. good. Well, it's... um. It, it was gratifying to see it all pay off because it did uh, provide this overarching hook and this, you know, that's, it's funny. Uh, and I forget who it was who made this observation. It might've been Alex Elmsley that uh, sometimes a trick can be improved if the audience can 
see what the ending's going to be a fraction of a second before it happens, where they can make that jump and go, oh my gosh, this is, and then, you know, and then it's only, it's only a beat, less than a beat, uh, a 16th note before it happens. But there's something satisfying to them about being able to make, put all the connections together. Yeah, yes, I don't know if Elmsley said it either, but I've I've called that in in different uh, different terms, same meaning the no magnifier. If you can get them to foreshadow it for a fraction of a second before it happens, and for them to go no, whatever it, like in their heads, whatever happens after they say no magnifies what's about to happen. Whereas if they don't do that, then you haven't given them a moment to appreciate the impossibility of it, and the reaction isn't going to be as good. I mean, as as great as he was, and he, you know, his career path and legend among legends, Don Allen, when he would produce the ball bearing underneath the the big copper, I forget exactly or what it was, or whatever, yeah, the hat, yeah, when he would say, you know kind of lost our bearings here and then the ball bearing would come out i kind of think he was going for that but without achieving it ah. uh but and it's you know and i don't say that lightly because it's don allen and yeah great amongst greats but i think when you can magnify it beforehand oh yeah oh yeah does it does it crush their heads yeah and and not every trick lends itself to that unfortunately but and, because you have to be you know it, it requires uh real careful scripting because if you're not careful you're going to give too much away if you're too subtle they're not going to pick up on it and hang on to it and make put all the connections together at the end so it's uh it's a real interesting combination of routining and scripting and and uh, you almost have to work from the end to the backwards to you know to cover all the bases on it you sort of have to decide before you start the trick that bruce willis is dead (laughs) i didn't even know he was sick see and it wasn't it wasn't a good enough reaction because i didn't tease it at the beginning of the interview that was my problem that was my problem i think uh, building something like this in a routine. You ever see those things where uh, somebody orders a latte and they look down at it and the Mona Lisa is painted in the foam? And I look at that and, and it so many times I draw this comparison when I see that to live performance. It's so delicate. It doesn't last forever. And when it's gone, the only thing that lives is the memory. And it's and it's a delicate thing to craft that. And, uh, I mean, I wish I could say I get it right all the time. I don't know what percentage I get, but it's it's not easy. It's yeah. not an easy thing. Well, I, it's um, – I don't want to steer the conversation away from you, but it, it reminds me of uh, a thing that sort of uh, interests me now, which is the idea that uh, the magician isn't really the storyteller although storytelling can be a part of the performance of magic. My thought now is that the goal of a magician is to turn the spectators into the storytellers. And 
the way to do that is to craft an effect that's so clear that they would, are able to take what they saw and tell other people about it. So, you know, they walk away and they go, you, you look stunned. What happened? Oh, uh, this guy, uh, I don't know, some trick. But, I mean, it's uh, it's funny. I Just a, for a moment there, I could not think of a crystal clear effect because you got Derek Dingle in my brain. And all I could think of was, well, using Dingle as an example, you won't hear anybody walk away from seeing rollover aces and remembering that the deck got turned face up and face down because there's too many effects. If you do triumph for somebody, just the original Vernon triumph, people walk away and go, well, what did he do? He shuffled a deck of cards face up and face down. They all straightened out except for my card. One sentence with a semicolon in it. Yeah. What happens with rollover aces? Well, um, uh, there were there were aces. No, wait a minute. There were was it aces? Well, there were royal flushes. I get were the royal flushes. I guess there were royal flushes. And at the end, the deck changed color. I did it straight now. I don't. You know what I mean? So this is what I'm saying is. <laughs> What you want to do is to leave that clear-cut memory so that they can carry that story forward. The same thing about the Mona Lisa in the coffee cup. You look at that and you go, you won't remember how the coffee tasted, but yeah. you will remember that that image of that amazing thing that just was kind of startling and astonishing that you didn't expect to have happen. And, and I think there, there's a place for, for both of those kind of things in, in a magical performance, but... I, in, in my head, I'm going to weight the show with the simpler things to describe. And, and also, I think it's, it's worth adding, and, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong. I've, I've heard many times over the years that things like Rollover Aces and the other things in the Dingle book uh, were not the bread and butter of his performance, his real life work, but those were like half a dozen tricks from which he made his living, Ambitious Card to Wallet. Uh, copper coins across, right. cigarette Pencil, through quarter. Cigarette through quarter. Yes, exactly. The the things that he did for layman were quite different than the things that he invented to bamboozle magicians. Because, you know, um, a, a well-read magician, or at least a magician with some knowledge of card magic, comes to the experience already knowing a bunch of stuff that laymen don't know. So yeah. that if you start to do triumph, they say, well, I know this trick. What they're not expecting is for the deck to change color at the end of it. So it's it's that kind of it's that kind of uh, kicker at the end that uh, that uh, he was going for to fool magicians. But yes, his professional repertoire were uh, consisted of like six things with very very straight straight ahead effects, very easy to understand. So you've been writing a blog. Did you say you were doing a blog? Yeah, uh, I've I've kind of resurrected the uh, blogging to magicians thing. Uh, the one change from my earlier efforts in writing. Uh, now that I'm older, I have a forty percent more vitriol. Uh, <laughs> You're turning into Clark Crandall. <laughs> Oh, oh, you praise me. Oh, stop. I wish. <laughs> no, I, maybe vitriol isn't the right word. I, 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 you know, I'm always writing, don't be so cranky. Don't be so cranky. But then I end up surrendering to it. Um, you know, 
one of my uh, sometimes when I'm writing, I, I feel like I'm attempting to uh, channel the late great Denny Haney because I sure. uh, spent a fair amount of time with him. Nowhere near as as much as I would have liked, and and definitely not not as much as others have. But uh, D- Denny had such a great influence on so many people. Yep. And and Denny didn't hesitate to be blunt and uh, direct to the point, and you know, sometimes a little rough. But, oh yeah. Uh, what a just a sweetheart of a guy. Very much looking forward to uh, Scott Alexander's book. Yes, uh, I agree part. completely. Uh, we were lucky enough, Lisa and I, when we were doing uh, MUM, that uh, uh, Scott did a year's worth of columns on Denny's material, which I wow. think is was the starting point for him putting this this book together. Um, I was just really concerned because at that time Denny was still around. But his health was, you know, precarious at best. Um, and I said to Scott, you know, somebody needs to keep this information alive. I mean, one of my big, big, uh, not goals, but one of the things that I'm uh, enthusiastic about, or uh, I'm not grasping for words here, is I hate to see somebody's time on the planet end and then their accumulated knowledge just disappears. Sure. Um, I think that's that's tragic. So uh, I'm really happy that uh, that Scott is is doing this. He certainly is the one to do it. He was probably, of all the magicians, one of the closest to Denny. So uh, I'm glad that, that, that that's being done. Absolutely. And re- regarding Denny, here's just a just to give you a, an idea and, and the listeners an idea of just just the smartness of Denny. I was talking with him once about the egg bag, and here's a man who lived and breathed egg bag. And I says, Denny, why do you bring up two people instead of one, just one? Because you don't need to. And he said, uh, I'll try to put this as succinctly as I can, because that's how he put it. He said, because uh, if, if one of them's a non-responder, then you have someone else to get last from, you know? Uh-huh. If one of them's kind of a clunker in the reactions, you've doubled your chance of getting a good spectator. It's like, boom. You know, Denny was steeped in theory and lived in pragmatism. Yep. So good. So good. And and certainly, boy, the hours of flight time that that dude had was unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Um, So... uh, like all of us, you've been at home for the quarantine time. Um, you told me that you're about to do a Zoom show, preparing for a Zoom show. Uh, how much fun is that? Do I do I detect amusement in your tone, Mister Close? Not at all. Not at all. I uh, I applaud anyone who I actually uh, I applaud anyone who tries it simply because. It's so profoundly difficult to do, to create an experience that's effective for the people watching. Um, you know, one of the things that um, that you and I have have talked about, uh, partially in preparation for fool us, but also that I've told other magicians, is when you draw that box around the performance that the TV screen or the TV monitor draws around you, you lose 
a lot of the ability to uh, in, to incorporate the skills that many of us have spent a lifetime trying to acquire. Because for the most part, misdirection goes out the window. A lot of a lot of body turns and a lot of body actions and what have you simply don't work on television because they they look. Uh, like what they are, which is false moments in in the show. So I, I applaud anyone who tries to, uh, you know, really puts thought and effort into making a Zoom experience uh, unique, and, because it's not it's not easy to do. It, oh yeah, it's there's a learning curve. I mean, here's my uh, here finger quotes Zoom journey. Uh, like all of us, you know, was it Friday the thirteenth in March? Boom. Yeah. You know, the what's uh, the line from the Shawshank Redemption gone vanished like a fart in the wind. That's right. (laughs) Boom, boom, boom. Gone, gone, gone. Okay, And then, you know, what is this and trying to tap into the science? What do we know? And then, you know, all the other stuff aside from the science layered on top of it, filtering through that. You, You know, it's like. Yeah, well, I'll just do the punchline. It's like the kid digging through something. There's got to be a pony in here somewhere. You know the joke. Exactly. (laughs) So, okay. So you make the shift from waiting this out to, okay, I'm going to do this. So you get teched up. Uh, And that's that's what I did. I had a older MacBook. Got that out of the way. I thankfully just recently got better internet. Uh, That helps. All these things are important. The tech isn't as complicated as I thought it would be. My tendency is, is, uh, uh, you know, to be the most Amish Luddite person possible. Because not just with this thing, but I I think low-tech works, really good high-tech works, Middle tech will beat you up every time. And that's what I don't want. So I'll get the lighting, another camera, all that. So then there's the tech aspect. Then I did the uh, the first several shows for some friends. I go, hey, let's do this. Let me get the kinks out of the tech. So the the more, and I'm sure that mirrors a lot of people's path in this. And then, you know, as far as, the issue, this is the thing you hear all, all the time. We don't hear them laughing. Uh, it's not a it's it's not about me. That's more than ever in a live show. It's not about me in an in-person show and in a live Zoom show. It's not about me. Uh, I've taken the material that works from my old show to the Zoom show and that which could transfer, you know, now obviously a lot of it couldn't, you know, and, and that's another thing I've been doing uh, a cards across routine for, I don't know how many decades. It just wasn't going to work on zoom. And it's like, that's my baby. I know where every laugh is. It's a big chunk. It rocks the room. It's not working on zoom. Bye. <laughs> but then it's so tough. It, it is. It is because it was just an, that routine. You know, when you've had a routine you've done for years, it's it's like, you know, you go. It's like being in your comfortable bed. It's so warm and good. You don't want to get up from that. You want to be in that. But you have to. That's just the reality if you want to do the show. So I was able to take routines that did work and take those jokes along with them. And I'm thinking, 
and it's proven to be true. If these jokes worked for 20 years or 10 years, whatever, pre-Zoom, they're going to work in Zoom. If these tricks were amazing, I mean, take a trick we're all familiar with, Invisible Deck, uh, which that was the pre-Zoom investment, invest in Invisible Decks. (laughs) Put your money in Krylon roughing spray. I'm just saying, that's all. You know, so are Andy Gladwin and Josh Jair like, we sold another gross of roughing sticks. <laughs> but, you know, it was amazing pre-Zoom. It's, it's, it's amazing now. And, and, and so are uh, a lot of other things. And it's easy to compare to a live in-person show. But, okay, compare it to a non-live Netflix or Hulu experience for the audience. You know, uh, it was on, okay, I'll, uh, uh, Blue's Clues did it, and when I was a kid, Romper Room had it on. Remember the host of Romper Room would wave to the kids in the audience, hi, Billy, hi, Julie, whatever. Well, you know, as a kid, you bought into that. She sees me. You know, that's that one day they say your name. But as an adult, you know, it's a charade. Well, with Zoom... It's real. That's right. It's real. And I think the audience can connect across from that, you know, connect across the uh, the the screen. Yeah. Yeah. That being said, I'm looking forward to in-person shows coming back until then. uh, Zoom it up, baby. Yeah. It's uh, funny. I'm thinking back on the comment about getting laughs. I think our, my favorite encounter with you was at a magic convention years ago, and I just wasn't connecting with this rather large group of magicians in bleacher seating in one room. And um, Robbie Wilmarth, Phil Wilmarth, who used to be one of the editor of uh, the Linking Ring magazine, she always had this kind of crazy fishing hat kind of thing with all the pins from the various conventions that she'd been to pinned to it. And um, she was knitting while I was performing. Do you remember this? Yeah, the Tale of Two Cities reference. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, uh, you know, here I am dying a death in front of these people. And I look over and I see Robbie knitting. And I said, oh, this is great. This is like working for Madame Lafarge. And uh, there was one laugh, one laugh in the entire room. And that was you standing behind the bleachers, enjoying the death that I was dying. <laughs> and, you know, it was my Dennis Miller moment, I guess. No, no. You're, okay. You, I'm glad you brought that up because you've read it wrong. It wasn't enjoying the death. It was enjoying the joke. Ah. And knowing the risk you took uh, to make the joke. <laughs> you, you know. I, I, I've, I've talked about this elsewhere in, on in a buddy of mine's podcast that I, I did a reference in a show. I, I was doing this one particular show, and I knew if I used the word monotreme, which is an egg-laying mammal, platypus, uh, this one guy would bust out laughing. He would lose it. So I'm doing my show. And this guy's in the audience, and I forget how I set it up. Probably wasn't much of a setup. I just said monotreme. 
he falls over laughing. Just just crushed him. Uh, some 15 years later, he'll still bring it up. And likewise, you and I, nearly 30 years later, we still bring it up because it's 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 that it's that moment. And uh, you know, metal. It took like what two seconds to say we remember it this many years later. That is a worthwhile investment in a yeah, joke. I think so. I think so. It was just. It was craziness. It was now craziness. when you when you started throwing knitting needles at her, that was a little over the top. I thought, but wasn't because every... you were not because it hurt her because it was prop comedy and you exactly were, you're better but, than that. But nobody ever came up to me and said, "How did you know to carry knitting needles with you?" <laughs> See, that's the genius of that bit. I was prepared with knitting needles. Who okay. knew? I got a story about that. I'm working a festival, and this guy comes up wearing a pith helmet. <laughs> and I point him out to my audience, because this guy's still in the lane. I point him out and say, look, he's wearing a pith helmet. Do you know why he wears that? Safety reason. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the audience knew me in, in this particular venue, like knew my show, had been to the show several times. And I'm thinking... And the joke scored well. And I'm thinking the only reason it did is they sensed he has had that joke in the holster for years. <laughs> Just waiting for that one guy. With Let me go to my bat, bat belt. What was my, yeah. bat, my, my utility belt. Of, so uh, the bat jokes. shark repellents, the uh, <laughs> manta ray. Oh, yes. Pith helmet jokes. Oh, man. That's very funny. Well, doctor, thank you for your time. Uh, this has been a delight. Uh, I'm glad that you and yours are safe and sound, even though you're in the deep south. I won't hold that against you. Uh, we have barbecue down here. Uh, well, that'll save that'll save you, by golly. That'll, uh, the healing power of barbecue is what I think is important. Indeed. Yes, sir, Bob. So uh, my guest today was... Uh, the great Doc Dixon. Hey, Doc, do you have a website? Do you peddle stuff? And uh, where can people find you if they want to read your blog? Sure. Uh, I'm not peddling stuff yet. Uh, that's that's probably the best verb to describe it, but will be soon. But DixonMagic.com, D-I-X-O-N, Magic.com. You could find the, the blog there. Uh, typically trying to blog every Monday. Perfect. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you, Stay brother. Safe. Good to talk. See you down the road. This has been another conversation with Close. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to tell your friends. You can like us on Facebook at Michael Close Magic. Follow us on, on uh, Twitter at Mike Close Magic. And you can visit our website, which is michaelclose.com. If you'd like to help support these podcasts, you can do that at anchor.fm slash Michael Close. In that way, we can continue to bring you high-quality content. Until we uh, meet again next time, so long from the Great White North.